Hey guys, welcome to the Babylon Pastors Podcast, sponsored by ODG Apparel. I am one of your hosts, Michael. And I'm Rob. Glad you're here to listen in while we talk about church, theology, and everything in between. What's up, guys? Welcome back to week two of the Babylon Pastor Podcast, where we are talking about um, things that nobody cares. I mean, you don't care. This isn't a big, huge, you know, doctrinal... <laughs> Calvinism. <laughs> We're talking about the five points of Calvinism. Uh, man, he looks like an old woman in that picture. Like, eh, please help me. Yeah, don't listen to him, John. <laughs> <laughs> Look, much respect. Much respect. So, uh, <laughs> five points of Calvinism. Today, last week we talked about total depravity, uh, which, um, I mean, look at your kids. Uh, secondly, or if you don't have kids, look at other kids. Look at somebody's kids. Uh, and then today we're going to be talking about unconditional election, uh, which has been known, um, as Rob has pointed off off camera before, as the uh, possible church splitter. <laughs> like people have a, you know, this is a harder one. Whereas last yeah. week, uh, total depravity, easier thing, you can pretty much get on board. Yeah. Uh, unconditional election, a little bit more difficult of a topic. Uh, basically, because, for example, Arminian said that obviously it's opposite. So instead of uh, unconditional election, Arminian kind of proposed the conditional election, which is God chooses people for salvation based on his foreknowledge of where he looks. They're going to choose if they're going to choose him or not. Um, Whereas obviously we'll in Calvinism with with the unconditional election. So there's obviously a few verses for that. Like we mentioned in the last podcast, everybody's got their verses that they load up their gun and then they shoot their theology at you. Um, But uh, these verses here, obviously, uh, we, we have to take into account that the Bible, uh, like Rob said last time, you have to come at it as open-minded as possible without your theology behind it and just read it. Uh, and with that, and this is where me and Rob would definitely be on the same page of it, when you read that, there is a very distinct um, tone that's set about God's sovereignty, about how he interacts with us, and on many points about how, that like, has nothing to do like with how we like we talked about last week in, in total depravity uh we can't resp- like we have the inability to reach a hand up he's the one that does all of that so um mm-hmm. where are we at this week as far as verses to kind of where we see unconditional election shown in scripture okay all right i'm so, sorry <clears throat> professor roberto is with <laughs> us again stop that <laughs> Um, so there, there are a couple of, um, because of time, right. And because we try to keep these fairly short, um, you could, you could talk about this in scripture from a variety of different places. Mm -hmm. The two, um, main places that I think, um, are the most explicit, uh, in helping us kind of come to this conclusion, at least me is in the beginning of Ephesians and in Romans chapter 9. Now, I, I, in the churches that we grew up in, Michael, yes. if we were preaching through the book of Romans, I honestly believe 9 would just be skipped. I just do. Uh, because um, this is hard. Or, or heavily explained. It would be heavily explained as far as, well, this is why... <laughs> right. And it's because this is hard to wrap your mind around and come to any other conclusion than predestination is a thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
So uh, one, the first place we're going to go to is Ephesians, though, uh, because, well, Paul says it flat out. But was he Paul says, Calvinist before there was Calvinism? Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, it's actually Calvinism is is more correctly referred uh, to as, as biblical um, theology. Biblical theology, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Somebody yeah. out there that was listening just got a little triggered. So, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, let let me say this as a disclaimer. Like, there are people uh, from probably both of these uh, theological backgrounds that that are that attend and are even members of our church. Like, that's important, and and that's important because it's okay to disagree on some of this stuff. It's okay, right? Um, it, it boils down to the gospel, to, to Orthodox Christianity, the Trinity, the stuff like that. If, if we all agree on the, the big things that are salvation level issues, then it's okay to have discussion on this and not, uh, you know, split the church or get that mad at one another that we don't have fellowship with brothers and sisters. And I think that, I don't, I think we've maybe failed to mention that in the first episode, but that, I think, look, if you have a church that's so one side or the other, no good discussion happens. That's the thing. Like yeah, the true. wonderful thing about, and you may hate this about family gatherings, but I love having political discussions or religious discussions or discussions at family gatherings, just like at church. I mean, yeah. look, there's people that I go to church with that are totally opposite as far as these points with me, but we have some really good discussions about it. Um, whereas if it was just one-sided, like, or not encouraged, like those wouldn't happen. I wouldn't be you know, I wouldn't be driven to go deeper in scripture to see what the word says, because I'd be like, oh, well, he said yeah. that, so we're just going to believe it. So I think it's important to have a mix like that. But yeah, it's important to do that. And it's important to go to the word of God on your own and do the research. That's, that's how you come to a conclusion that has any weight behind it. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I, I feel like on these issues in particular, this Calvinism, Arminian stuff, or if you want to go back in time, uh, Augustus and um, Pelagian yeah. stuff. If you want to, um, these arguments have been happening for a long time. And I feel like there's a lot of, uh, well, I watched these videos on YouTube and that's the extent of my knowledge on it. Mm -hmm. And it's just secondary knowledge. Maybe some of the people on YouTube talking about it saw some videos on YouTube. Like, so it's important you do your own Bible reading, your own research, and come to your own conclusion. It's not bad to have help doing that, but certainly you don't just want to rely on an opinion that sounds right in your mind, and, and that's the end of your study. So anyway, Ephesians chapter 1, okay? So I'm just going to, this is not me making this up. This is the uh, New American Standard Bible, and uh, the other ones say the same thing maybe with different words a little bit. In verse 3, Paul has just introduced himself to, as the writer of the letter. In verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Verse 4, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Um, let's see. Oh, and let's, let's just, to the praise of the glory of his grace, 
which he freely bestowed on us and the beloved. He is the one who bestowed it. He freely bestowed it. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the richness of his grace. Um, where else? Let's see. This isn't all of it. It's so um, the whole the whole idea that uh, he predestined us before the foundation of the world in Christ Jesus, like that is that is tough to get around if you're on the other team, right? If you're, if you're um, bent toward uh, James Arminian kind of theology, um, then uh, it, it's hard to get around Paul explicitly saying, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we would be blameless. Um, and uh, it's not just an opening like he's he's laying out a theology as he's getting into what he's about to talk about so that they get it i mean yeah. he's laying that foundation for what yeah he's like doing. it's an assumed truth yeah that paul is laying out yeah um and even even the the idea that he's the one that bestowed um that the the whole thing like it's god again what what you'll find right is that the heart at least from from my perspective and the lenses that i look through right the the heart of this entire thing is who gets the glory for my salvation yeah is it god alone or is it god and some of me right if if god First of all, if God, it's a, it's a big picture of who we think God is. If God looked down the annals of time and uh, looked down the, the corridors of time and saw what you would choose, and that's what it, that, first of all, that's not a choice that God made then, right? It's just, he saw what would happen and. You picked um, your response to your picking. Right, and picked you like, oh, see, it's, that's, that's like a, a Wizard of Oz thing, right? Like that's, this, this isn't a God at that point. This is a guy who saw what would happen and then said, okay, well, I'm going to make this choice. Like that's yeah. stupid, frankly, like, this can't happen. You can't be God. And, and, um, and secondly, that would also mean that God learns mm -hmm. because if he looked down the hallway of time and saw what choice you were going to make, that means that there was something that he didn't know that he had to look into the future and see what choice would be made. This, that, in my mind, the, the view of God in himself kills that. It, it kills that entire line of thinking, that one anyway, um, where God just happened to look down uh, a big hallway and see what he would choose. That means that God learns, and that means that he's not God. Mm -hmm. So... And then we have Romans 9. This is one that, man, people get bent out of shape about this. And I'll, I'll be the first to say one of the biggest arguments against Romans 9 being evidence for predestination um, and uh, this kind of thing is that it, Paul is not, in context, Paul is not explicitly talking about salvation here. And he's not. I'll I'll be the first to say that he's not talking about salvation here, um, but it it does give us 
well, I'm just, I'm going to read it. And I think there's an obvious conclusion that we're going to draw from it. And it's not because it's not just about salvation. It's about everything that uh, in, in our world before, in the future, everything. It's about, every, it's about a basic way that God functions with this world. So that would include salvation and any other thing you can think of. Okay. So um, where do I want to start? This is okay. Paul is talking about um, the Rebecca's twins. Okay. Jacob and Isaac. So Romans nine verse uh, 10. Yeah. Okay. Romans nine verse 10. It says, and not only this, but there was Rebecca also when she had conceived twins by one man, our father, Isaac. Um, or yeah, sorry. So for, for though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad so that God, so that God's purpose, according to his choice would stand not because of works, but because of him who calls it was said to her, the older will serve the younger. So God is sovereign in these two twins' lives before they were born. He knew and predestined and foreordained that one of them would serve uh, another one of them. And it was backwards because the way that the world functioned is that the, the older would be the one in charge. He would be the boss man and the younger one would be the younger brother who comes alongside. And um, so anyway, before before any of this happened, before they were born, um, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Verse 13, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. That's mouth of God saying that. Um, verse 14, what shall we say then? There's no injustice with God, is there? May it never be, right? May it never be, or uh, what, what would the ESV say there? Um, by no means, right? Exclamation point. Uh, there's actually an exclamation point at the end of that. So Paul is saying an emphatic, no, of course God is not unjust by doing this. Um, so, but that, that kind of leaves us in a bit of a, well, how is God not unjust, right? Like, how is that possible? If he chose uh, this one to serve this one, if he says uh, this one I loved, this one I hated, which is simply, it doesn't mean hate the same way that we would think of it. It's just, he's simply reiterating, this is the one I'm choosing. This is the one I'm not choosing, right? If that's true, then how, how is that fair is how we would probably see that, right? And so that's why Paul is saying this. He's, that's why he says, there's no injustice with God, is there? Because that would have been a natural question in response to that, right? People would have naturally gone, well, that's not fair. Um, and then verse 15, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So that is God saying, I'm God. Do I'll want. do what I want. <laughs> I mean, that's that's literally what the point that's being made, right? Do whatever um, I want. Don't ask. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, verse 16. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. There's another uh, who gets the glory thing, right? Uh, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So Pharaoh was raised up to disobey God, 
and to drown in the Red Sea and die in his sin. That was his purpose. That was the whole reason God made him and created him. That was the whole reason he was born. So um, and God I, don't know how, I don't know how you dance around that. You know, like I just, I don't, I don't know how you would dance around that and not, um, uh, verse 18. So then he has mercy. God has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who resists his will? So Paul knows the argument. He knows the other side of this thing. And he knows that the logical thing that we're going to think is, well, if that's the case, if he chose Pharaoh to do that and to then, then how is Pharaoh at fault? How is God not the one that, that is at fault then? Like there's got to be something wrong with this because Pharaoh didn't do, if, if God made him for this and God chose this stuff, then Pharaoh didn't do anything wrong. He just did what he was supposed to. <laughs> he did what God made him to do, right? So and this is, this is going to end in um, our greatest theologian apart from Christ uh being stumped himself that's how this all ends okay so uh why does he still find fault for who resists his will paul says on the contrary who are you O man who answers back to god the thing molded will not say to the molder why did you make me like this will it or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use what if god this is important. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did this, and he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. So, um, Paul... Paul here is explaining this just how it um, makes sense to me in my mind now. This is like um, a really important theological discussion Paul is having here for Calvinism and for a lot of the, the a lot of the other weeks even that we're going to talk about Calvinism. This is a, an important thing. He's clearly saying God is choosing this. He's clearly said that God chooses some people. God creates some people for dishonorable use, quote. Um, and in that example, it, his example for dishonorable use is uh, Pharaoh, who was created on purpose, for the purpose, to sin against God, to be in rebellion against God, to shake his fist at God and say, I'm God, and then drowned in his sin in the Red Sea and spend eternity in hell. That's why Pharaoh was born. There's no dancing around that in this text. You just can't. It, you, you can't get around that. That's the purpose. So, um, and at the end of the day, Paul's argument is the same argument God had with Job at the end of that book. How dare Who you? do you think you are? Put on your pants. Let's come explain to me. Yeah, that argument, man. <laughs> Job, poor Job. Um, well, so then you get to this point. So, uh, and these all like, so two things. One, like you just said, all of these points as we work through them, literally almost, they build on each other. Like you can't have one and not the other. Um, so they all build down. Yeah. Um, now what comes from what you just said is a, is a, 
uh, argument that often happens between, well, okay, is it single predestination or double predestination, which pretty well yeah. summed up is uh, single predestination, which <laughs> I heard in this research of doing this, Doug Wilson said, uh, Calvinists, uh, Calvinists that hold to uh, single predestination just can't do math very well. Uh, because basically <laughs> the idea is that it, it's an attempt, single predestination is an attempt to make God nicer. Like, oh, he can't, you know, yeah. it's saying, well, he, he did pick, you know, he, so he uses this example where he picked Sam, but not Joe. And it's not because he doesn't like Joe. He just, he picked, he picked Sam. And his point is that in picking Sam, he knows he didn't pick Joe. Like, it's not a point where it's like, well, you know, it's just, we're not going to talk about Joe. It's that in picking one, you know, you didn't. Yeah. Um, so basically single predestination is, it's just a, it's a bad attempt to try to, you know, make God nicer when you don't have to make him nicer. Uh, refer to a previous episode we did on God's mercy or, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, or no, it wasn't God's mercy, uh, morality. So uh, that we uploaded that one a little bit ago. Uh, but basically double predestination holds to the, the, this idea, or it's a working out of this idea that if he chooses one, then he actively doesn't choose the other. Now that doesn't mean uh, necessarily. So let me see how I got to refer to my notes. Uh, this, that doesn't, this doesn't make God the author of sin. So that's a lot of what happened in the Westminster Confession of Faith actually uh, addresses that, and I'll just read it because I can't, I don't memorize this, but uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith states that the fall and all other sins were foreordained, uh, states that the fall and all other sins were foreordained by divine providence. However, the confession also teaches that sin uh, proceedeth only from the creature and not from God. God cannot be the author of sin because he is entirely holy and righteous. Um, so obviously if you haven't read or referred to the Westminster confession, do that. Uh, I haven't, I don't know how familiar you are with it. It's a big thing and it's hard to read, yeah. but that, that's how it kind of outworked all of that. Um, but this doctrine itself, like you said, when you were reading that scripture, um, it's one of those things that it's a hard thing. I think that's why it is a, yeah. you know, you said a, a church splitter because some people just can't can't get to that point in their heads. And also, I mean, we talked about this before, like I struggle with it because I'm just like, wow, like there are some people that that's just, that's, they were, that's like Pharaoh. There were four ordained, like your job in life. The reason you were created was to, uh, to do a certain thing in order to inevitably you're going to bring glory to God. Anyway, Pharaoh in all of his disobedience still brings glory to God. Uh, because of, of how God has all worked all this out. Judas. Yeah, Judas, again, same thing. So, I mean, we have to look at it and say, you know, there, there, are, certain, uh, there are certain people that are, are obviously on this planet, I would say, I mean, if we're, if we're going to use this reasoning, we have to say even now that are in positions or places that are foreordained to do a certain thing, um, and they're, they're not great people. They're, they're Judas's, they're Pharaoh's, they're Hitler's, they're whatever's that have been created to, to, to do a task um, that's not good, that, um, that it ultimately brings the word of God. Now, there was one thing you said that was, um, oh, I forget which verse it was, but basically it's the vessels of wrath and the vessels of um, the other, where it's, yeah, where he specifically says that, uh, could you reread that one more time? 
that that particular yeah that particular um, yeah yeah so it that's in verse uh 22 and 23 where he says uh what if god where he's actually explaining the reasoning behind some of this it, what if god although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction and he did so prepared for destruction right um and he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy which so, he had prepared beforehand for glory yeah which so he had prepared beforehand for glory so in that so we were talking to so the last podcast we did was about just how amazing god's grace is in the sense that we don't have the ability to reach out to him but he still saves us regardless he, he just does and that when those passages there i think really they build on that this fact that look you look at evil and you go that could have been me and he he saved me anyway like he chose me anyway like i didn't do anything to deserve that like there's nothing in me that like this it, it totally takes out this unconditional election it totally takes out your goodness your thought of any goodness your ability to do anything yeah. uh it's totally out of the picture in, entirely out of the picture you didn't choose him he chose you you didn't do anything to deserve it but he saved you anyway um you are totally responsible and for everything you've ever done um and you deserve hell but you don't get it because of his his election towards you mm -hmm. yeah even though you didn't do anything which should stir up within us this amazing like awe worship and yeah. worship yeah of just like oh my good like <laughs> like I got this enormous present that I like, why just cause, okay. Like it literally somebody handing you like, I, so I think like right back to the, the days I was going to show you how old some of you guys are, but used to when they, I think it was like home remodel. I forget what it was called, but they put this big bus in front of this house that they had totally remodeled the whole thing. And they said, move this bus. And this oh, yeah, bus yeah, yeah. Extreme bus, makeover, extreme home and makeover. And this bus moved and every single time this family in front, which had lived in this horrible junky house forever. And they just see this beautiful house and they're just like, ah, and yeah. sobbing because they know that like, they, they know what they had before. Like they know yeah. that it wasn't this, uh, it wasn't a house with like 50,000 screens that came from the ceiling with monkey bars. Like it was horrible. And it's kind of like that moment where it's like, like it just stirs up this worship within you that you say wow like that's all you can say wow there's been times in my life where like i reflect on this sort of thing that all i can say in prayer is thank you like that's it i don't got anything else there ain't no other word i can think of just thank you um because that's all it is and i think obviously there's a lot of uh, hate or division that goes toward this doctrine because it is hard it's super hard especially if you think of like those aren't those that aren't elect and it gets even more personal if it's like what about my best friend what about uh you know i mean let's go super personal what about my kid what about like so like everyone that's close to you i mean you can think like altruist like well it's just the hitlers and the the horrible people and you know the guy at work that i hate like it's those people that are far away yeah but god doesn't i mean it's in the name unconditional like could literally be anybody uh, and you go, well, this is really hard. But like you said, 
Paul works that out and says, who are you to question God? And that really comes down to your view of God. Like, how do you think he operates? How do you, do you think he's subject to your will? Do you think he's subject to anything that you think? Like you mentioned Job, for example, and that's my favorite passage in all of Job where Job's like, oh, and he's like, all right, put on your pants. I'm going <laughs> to yeah. show you the whole world. Did you do any of this? No? Yeah. And Job's like, okay, I get it. He's like, no, we ain't done. Look at that. Yeah, a whole and, other chapter. Yeah, yeah, and it's just kind of like, and the, the, that's really, if you're not read that, go read it. Because it is this really big thing where God's like, you had nothing to do with this. So I love you, but shut your mouth. So, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think of it like this, like every, everything that we, everything that we think, it, it all boils down to uh, we think like people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're in we're not capable of thinking in any other way other than how people think so when when we're um on uh, a basketball court people are getting ready to play a pickup game and they're choosing teams we would all acknowledge that okay i'm gonna pick uh ben because i've seen him play and he's a great basketball player and by picking Ben, I'm not picking George. That's the same decision. It's not even two separate decisions, really. It's the same thing happening at once. But the difference is um, God has a bunch of people before him, all of which are rebellious, depraved, terrible people. And he's not picking Ben because Ben is good at basketball he's picking Ben to bring him glory. He's picking Ben because he's good at basketball and it almost doesn't matter who he picks. It's going to glorify him because Ben isn't going to be able to play on his team in any way that's going to make him look bad. And George, who's not playing on his team is going to get trounced in this game. And that's going to bring him glory. Like, like at the end of the day, this whole thing boils down to your view of God. Yeah, it really just does. Some of it, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's so. I think that goes back to total depravity as well, because yeah. total depravity is one of those things where we want all the glory, we want all the accolade, we want, hey, we did it, we were able to do it. Look at us. Um, whereas when we truly understand how Scripture like outlines, okay, this is who God is. This is how He operates. It is yeah. always about his glory. Um, what was that? Desiring God by John Piper. Uh, when I had read that, that was the first book that I ever read that that's all it was about. It's all about God's glory. That's like all of it. Um, so that was real eye, but if you haven't read that, I'd go with that. Even though I got a DM that John Piper is apostate, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> go read that. Uh, but um, yeah, it, all of this, when you get into the, anything theological, but especially this, is going to peel back any layers you had on top to show how what the actual core of your idea of who God is and how he operates is. So, Yeah, for sure. All right. You got any closing statements here on this big divisive one? I, I think that in every one of the things that we're going to talk about this month, the first one, total depravity, this one, limited atonement or definite atonement, uh, irresistible grace, perseverance, all, all of these things that we're going to talk through, um, all of them are hard, 
but I think they're hard because we're people. And I think that the more, uh, first of all, I think there, there are texts in scripture that kind of, that make these things like this Romans nine thing to me, this is all irrefutable stuff. Like Paul is they're like, no, it's not though. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, you're right. That's true. And, and some of those folks who uh, are on the other team, they're, they're, smarter than me they've got more study in all this than me but it's just the way that i read this i just don't see any other way to interpret it and read it and so um these aren't uh principles for salvation necessarily they're principles of how god operates period yeah in everything and um and i want to i want to say that i think that this is uh something that should give us, like you said, more awe and, and a create a, a, an atmosphere of worship in us that God, if, if we're going to complain that that's not just, well, just would frankly be God not sparing any human ever in the history of mankind. Standing in front of that wall going, okay, none of you. <laughs> right. That's justice. God not choosing anyone and everybody dying and going to hell. Um, and yet what Paul is saying here is that it, it, God is choosing some to save. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't know what mercy looks like. We wouldn't know what grace looks like. We wouldn't know that God is merciful and gracious other than he put up with my sinful self for more than a millisecond. That's mercy. But uh, it God gives us a more complete picture of who he actually is because of all this stuff. Um, and so don't don't wish for justice in your life. Um, just be thankful you didn't get it. There you go. All right, guys. So that was unlimited atonement. Next week we'll be talking about uh, unli- or limited. I'm sorry, that was unconditional election. Man, almost <laughs> messed that up big time. So that was unconditional election. Next week we'll be talking about limited atonement. I'm gonna have to look at my notes here, or uh, as Rob mentioned, definite atonement. So. We'll see you next week.